Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. While you are turning there, I want to go ahead and prepare you. Uh, We're going to be doing a lot of reading. So I hope you have a copy of God's Word. Uh, We don't read out of the Five Forks Daily Times. I don't think that exists, actually. Uh, Or a newspaper. We read out of God's Word. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And uh, if you've got a digital copy, that's fine. But Hebrews chapter 9, I want to say thank you to Heath for preaching last week. If you've been following along in Hebrews, uh, you may ask the question, did I, did I not hear this before? Uh, and the answer would be yes, because the writer of Hebrews, whoever that is, and we're not sure who that is, uh, repeats him or herself many, many times. And uh, maybe that is because uh, the culture of the day was much like our culture, where you have to say things many, many times for it to uh, sink in. So some of this stuff may sound familiar, and it may be because the writer has mentioned this uh, previously. So this morning, I've got a question, and we have had some great songs that have led us to this point. What is our response to Jesus? Knowing what Christ did because of his all-sufficient merit. I mean, the lyrics of today's songs go right along with the message. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, because of his sacrifice, what should be our response? And the great thing is, church, what excites me and hopefully excites you, and we're going to discover this as we read Hebrews chapter 9, is uh, worship can happen anywhere. Because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit, worship now can happen anywhere, anytime. I'm fearful that sometimes in our North American Christianity, we may be operating in an old covenant mindset sometimes. Now, are you saying, Pastor Jack, are you saying don't come to church? That's not what I'm saying at all. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews, in just a little while we're going to look at, actually talks about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. But the reality is because of the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we don't have to show up at a temple and actually stand outside because the high priest was one who went into the temple. Only the high priest would go into holy holies. We don't have to do that and go to a certain place. We can actually worship, and I would encourage you to do this, driving down Woodruff Road is a good place to worship. (laughs) Because it will keep you from your mind going other places, right? So Hebrews chapter 9, here's what... The writer says, Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship in the earthly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. And behind the second veil there was a tabernacle, which was called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. 
But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. When these things had been thus prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. Now let me stop right there. There's a lot of descriptives there about this tabernacle, and I just want to highlight a few of them for you. This earthly tabernacle was ordained by God, the Old Covenant, but planned only for earthly service. And this tabernacle, if you're kind of wondering what it was, uh, it was more than likely a tent. It was probably 45 feet uh, long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet uh, high. Uh, So get this image in your mind. This tent divided into two rooms. A larger room was about 15 feet by 30 feet. It was called the holy place. And behind this second veil, the second curtain was a much smaller spot, about 15 feet by 15 feet, called the holiest of holies or the holiest of all. And if you're wondering where all those dimensions and details are, you can go back to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, I think it's around chapter 20, 24, 25 in there, describes all these things in great detail. It describes this lampstand that was there. And it had a middle stem and it had six branches that spread out. And it was made of pure gold. And it was the only light inside their tabernacle was this lampstand. So when you think about it in the New Testament, when Jesus said, you are a light. A lot of people he was speaking to would get that visual. You're the light in the darkness. Because without that light, those candle lights in that tabernacle, they could not see. Then there was this table. Made of acacia wood, covered with gold, three feet long, one and a half feet wide, two feet, three inches high. Again, all this is in Exodus. And it had 12 loaves of showbread that was placed on the table, each representing God's fellowship with the 12 tribes of Israel. Then there was the sanctuary, the inner holy of holies, where Heath was telling us last week that they would sometimes tie a rope around the ankle of the priest just in case he said something wrong or maybe he had a heart attack or something and they could pull him back out because nobody could go in there. It was the most holy place, a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. All these things were in there. And inside the Ark was a golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod. We find out about that in the book of Numbers and the tablets of... The covenant, the manna reminding Israel of God's incredible provision and faithfulness. So all these things were there. The mercy seat was there, which you may have heard about the mercy seat. What is the mercy seat? The mercy seat was this ornate lid for the Ark of the Covenant. It was made with designs of angels upon it. And the blood of the sacrifice, when the high priest would go in, the blood of the sacrifice would be sprinkled on that lid to atone for the forgiveness of of the people. And as God would look down on this ark, he would see the symbols of Israel's sin and their rebellion. But when the blood of the sacrifice was applied, the blood of sacrifice covered his sight and the sin of Israel. So get that picture in your mind as the writer is describing what happened in this old covenant uh, time. And he's reminding us of a couple things. Here's the first one I've kind of already told you. The first one, there's four points this morning. There's a lot of sub-points, so if you want to write these down, I would encourage you to do this. Not because Jack is saying it, because this is from God's Word. Here's the first one. Worship is not confined to a place. Aren't you grateful for that? Some of us feel like maybe every week i got to come to Crossroads. Well, no, you don't have to. Glad that you're here this morning, by the way. And we need to gather together. 
But because of the blood of Christ, we can worship freely anywhere. And the writer tells us that Jesus' sacrifice was complete. He describes again the old covenant and the new, and he begins to state these differences. And if you uh, continue on after verse 6, when he talks about the priest having to continually enter the tabernacle, he says this, verse 7, but into the second only the high priest could enter, that inner sanctum once a year, not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of all the people. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. He's hinting that Jesus is going to be the solution to them going in and out, in and out, repeatedly, continually, habitually. I wrote down, as you know by now, I'll write my, myself some questions. Here's the question I wrote. How, how should my worship now be different because of the blood Jesus shed? Am I still worshiping in an old covenant way? Oh, if only Jesus had explained this to someone for us. So if you remember, he did. If you want to flip back in the Gospels, John chapter 4, he explained this to the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 20, she begins to talk about some of these repetitious, easy for me to say, repetitive, there we go, repetitive things that they had to do. And Jesus says to her, verse 21, John chapter 4, she says, verse 20, our fathers worshiped in the mountain. You people say Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus says to the woman at the well, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Basically, you will worship me. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit and my death on the cross and my resurrection, you can worship me anywhere. Praise the Lord for that. So that is a great reminder from God's word. And he goes on in Hebrews chapter 9. And he continues to talk about this repetitive thing that they had to do. Verse 9, accordingly both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which could not make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed into a time of reformation. So what is he saying? He says Christ is going to make a difference. And he turns the equation in verse 11 and says, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of the creation, and not through the blood of goats and cows, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I can worship God freely, anytime, anywhere. It's a powerful thing. See, the, the, the challenge is, because we have grown up in this century in North America, we don't know what it was like to live in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. Church, we're blessed. We don't know what it's like to have someone have to go to God on our behalf, because we can pray and Ask God anytime we want and worship God anytime we want. We don't know what it was like going through that ritualistic endeavor over and over and over again. 
And the great thing is, because Christ has appeared, the writer says to us, now through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, verse 11, because of what Christ has done, we are, our conscience is, can be cleansed from sin. Sin can be rid of our, sin can be out of our lives. We can be rid of sin because of the blood of Christ, which tells me this, what the writer is saying is this, number two, Christ is looking for worshipers. He's inviting you and I to worship him. Some translations say this when you get down to verse 15. I've got the New American Standard and it says this, and for this reason, it's almost like the word therefore that we've talked about. The writer of Hebrews explains the Old Testament covenant, explains all these things. It talks about the fact that now Jesus, who, as we had just sung, had all sufficient merit. It is finished. It is done. His sacrifice is complete. Because of that, now he is inviting us to worship him. And he says it in verse 15. For this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place to the redemption of transgressions committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must be of necessity the death of the one who made it. And a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. You say, Pastor Jack, what are you saying? He's saying a couple of things I want to point out. These are kind of be subpoints for you under this one if you want to write these down. Have you ever thought about why in the world, how could Christ Jesus invite us to worship him? Because a sin penalty had to be paid. We owed a debt that Jesus did not owe. We had a debt that we had to pay. He paid a debt that we owed. Christ Jesus paid that debt. And he is inviting us to worship. How in the world can he do that? Well, he can do that for a couple reasons. Here's the first one. Because there's been the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. What the writer is saying is just like in Old Testament times in the Old Covenant, when they shed blood of the sacrifice of an animal and they would sprinkle it on the, the lid of the ark and God would look down on this day of atonement and he would forgive the sins of the people. So now today in 2023, thanks be to God, the blood of Jesus for every sin you have committed, you will commit any sin in your life you will ever commit. The blood of Jesus Christ has paid for that. Now, there's some confusion. Maybe there's even some confusion in this room. About if you go out here this afternoon and you make a mistake, and all of a sudden you get hit by a bus and you're not able to come to Christ and, and ask forgiveness, you're going to wind up in hell. That is not biblical. If you have truly repented of your sins and placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is because His sacrifice is complete and His sacrifice is does it all. It's sufficient that you get to go to heaven. It's not of your good works. If you go out and do something wrong, it's like, oh no, I did something wrong. I blew the total salvation of God. I am more stronger than the sufficiency of Christ. And yet some of us live that way in our old covenant thinking. You're saying, Pastor Jack, do I not have to ask forgiveness of my sins? That's not what I'm saying. First John's very clear. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what I'm saying is Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, he has covered every sin you have committed and every sin you will ever commit. 
Now, that doesn't give us license to go out and live like the devil. And we're going to study that in 2024. We're going to be going through the book of Romans starting in January. Because Paul said, does that mean we go out and we live like the devil? No, be it not so. We would, we would be trampling on the grace of Christ. But it does mean, church, that we don't have to wallow in our guilt and shame because the penalty of our sin has already been paid because of the blood of Christ. And so he's inviting us to worship him. Trust me, I get it. There's sometimes I come in here and I'm overwhelmed even with the the Holy Spirit. I'm overwhelmed with the music. I'm overwhelmed to be in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think about me and who I am in my flesh. And I'm like, how in the world could God Almighty invite me to come into His presence and worship Him? Because it's not about you. It's about Him. And He is the one that has shed the blood on the cross. The second way and the second reason He can invite you is because His sacrifice was once and for all. If you've got your Bible, you'll want to flip over to to Hebrews chapter 10 because these two chapters kind of go together. Hebrews chapter 10, he's going to repeat a lot of the same things he says in chapter 9, verse 1, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, the law can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise... Would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if this Old Testament ritual had worked, why would we, why would we need Jesus? Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. Every year when they would do this, it was a reminder of their sins year by year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, he says. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, and he quotes Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. I, in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come in the roll of the book it is written in me to do thy will, O God. Verse 8, After saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in, which all that is about the law, he says, Then he said, Behold, I've come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second, the writer says. And then he says this, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. There will be no more sacrifices. God does not need any more sacrifices. What God needs is our obedience to the sacrifice He's already given. So the way that we can be assured that we can be invited into this close relationship is because the sacrifice was once and for all. Jesus is not uh, in heaven. Sometimes I think we think that Jesus is in heaven and he is going before the heavenly father and he is saying, Lord, please forgive them. Please forgive them. Please, God, please forgive them. That's not what Jesus is seated at the right hand of God doing. That debate is already over. Because of the blood of Christ, it is finished. God, God does not need that anymore. Jesus does not need to do that on our behalf. As a matter of fact, if you read Revelations chapter 12, what Jesus is doing is he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is giving intercession for us and he is defending us from the accuser. 
He's not trying to prove to God that his son's death on the cross was valid or sufficient. God already knows that. And yet some people in our world think that that's what's happening. As a matter of fact, just to be real honest, I'm not saying this to offend anybody in the room. But part of what our Catholic friends do when they practice Mass is they are desiring to repeat over and over this ritual asking God to give forgiveness for sins. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus. They're going through this repetition over and over again and it's absolutely indefensible when Scripture tells us that Jesus Himself, even on the cross, said it is finished. His blood is sufficient. And Scripture makes it clear if you flip back over to chapter 9. Verse 24, the writer says this, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood and not his own. Otherwise, he, that's Jesus, would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifest to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Praise the Lord for that. It's not also the writer's intention here to get off on a rabbit trail about reincarnation. But if anybody ever asks you about reincarnation, Scripture's pretty clear, and that's one of the places that it's recorded. It's appointed for man once to die and then to judgment. You don't come back as a butterfly. You don't come back as a fish. You don't come back as a dog. Though if you're in my house, you might wish you'd come back as a dog because my dog is spoiled rotten. We live one time and then God judges us. Just as Christ was offered once to bear the sins of the world. Now before some of you Bible scholars start to think through your mind about certain people in the Bible. I understand that that's not necessarily an absolute principle. I know that there are people... In the Bible, who there are unique, remarkable exceptions, people like Enoch and people like Elijah, who never died. I know there are also people who were raised from the dead, so in a sense, they died twice. Those are the exception, though, rather than the rule. According to God's word, we die once, and then the judgment. And so the third thing that we see here from what the writer is sharing is that only the Messiah's coming would be the sufficient Sacrifice. If you look at chapter 10, the writer almost gives us a sermon within a sermon. And church, as I was reading this this week, I, I, I pray for this every week, but maybe even more so this week. I, my prayer was, I hope that for me and for you, the truth of what we're about to read just really sinks in into our heart, into fertile ground takes root and grows. 
Because the truth of these next few verses, as I have thought about it this week, even though I knew this, sometimes it's great to have a reminder. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of a few things about the sufficiency of, of the sacrifice of Jesus. And I don't know if it's just me, maybe this happens to you, where the devil sometimes likes to get in our heads and kind of play with us and kind of tell us things that are not true. But I want to tell you with all the love in my heart as one of the pastors here at this church, I want to tell you something. If you know Christ and you have received the blood of Jesus into your life, you are safe in his hands. You are safe in his hands. The devil can mess with your mind and try to get you to think all kinds of thoughts. But if you have genuinely, sincerely repented of your sins and placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and upon his, you believe upon his death on the cross, he paid for your sins, and you're committing your life to follow him, you cannot be touched. The devil can mess with you, he can aggravate you, and he can come after you, and he will send every demon of hell to come after you, especially if you're trying to live for him, but he can't touch you. Now, you've got to stand bold on his word. And we can't, we can't take great confidence in that because of our own righteousness. It's because of the righteousness of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews gives us, I'm going to give them to you real quickly this morning. I encourage you to go back and look at this chapter this week because there's there's about four or five things. It's almost like a sermon within a sermon. So let's read it. Verse 19 of chapter 10. Here's what he says. In light of everything he said in chapter 9 and chapter 10. Here's what he says. Since therefore brethren and sistren. I threw that in. That's the Jack Eason paraphrase version. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus you and I don't walk into worship this morning going, Hey God, I'm here. I'm here. You've been waiting on me. We walk into the presence of worship because of, we can be confident because of the blood of Christ. We can have boldness to enter in by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us, verse 20 says, Through the veil, that is His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ is our high priest. So the first thing he says, these won't be on the screen, the first thing that he says about his sufficient sacrifice is we can, because of that, we can boldly enter in. The second thing he says is in verse 22. And these are like rapid fire, the way he gives these to us. Every single one of them, he's like, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. The first one is, let us have boldness and confidence. The second one is this, let us draw near with a true heart. Confession from your pastor. Sometimes I think that the problem in our, in our society and in our world is persecution, difficult relationships, the economy, blah, 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 the list goes on and on. You know what? That's not really the problem. The problem is a lack of me and you. Drawing near to the heart of God. That's the problem. 
Because every other country, every other culture on this planet faces tough times. I think about my friends in the Dominican, our friends in the Dominican. I think about friends that I'll see, Lord willing, in just a couple of days in Africa who face much, 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 much more tremendous trials and obstacles in their life. And I look at them and I'm like, how in the world do they have a better attitude? How do they have better joy? How do they have better confidence? How do they have all that? You know what the difference is? You want to know what the difference is? The difference is they draw near to God. That's the difference. There's no secret formula. They draw near to God. And the writer is reminding us that is what we need to do because the problem of our access to God has already been settled because of Jesus. The problem of our perfect high priest has already been settled because of Jesus. The problem of my moral filth and my complete apathy sometimes to God has already been solved because of the grace and the blood of Jesus. What the problem is, is sometimes I lack drawing near. And apparently, so did the people that the writer is writing to. Because he had to encourage them to draw near. Is it just me or it would, seem, it would seem like that would be an obvious reaction? Christ has given his life on the cross. He shed his blood. He's paid for every sin. The obvious reaction should be I would want to draw near, right? Apparently not. Because he had to remind them and give them encouragement to draw near. It says, draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled and clean from an evil conscience, your bodies washed with pure water. And then he says, let us again, let us, verse 23, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. There's a lot that I could say there, but just for sake of time, I had lunch with my mom this week, and she and I were talking, and I just thought about so many times during her cancer process and so many of you in this congregation have gone through that or maybe you're in the midst of that right now her comment was always if I die I win if I live I win either way I win it's like wow how do you do that you do that because that's holding fast the confession of hope it's not a wish upon a star it's not a lottery scratch off ticket hope is Hope can be satisfied and complete because we are hoping in Jesus Christ who gave the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. This next thing he says, verse 24, he says, Let us consider how to stimulate, some translations say, stir up, I like that, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and not forsake our assembling together. As the habit of some, some but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So he's encouraging us to pursue the community of God's people. Church, I've got to talk about that a little bit. There is a gross misconception in our culture about what church is. And the, the, the huge part of that misconception is that church is for what... I get from it. I go because that's what I get from it. Or I church hop because I'm looking for what they offer me. Now, I'm not saying as a, as a leader in this church, and our leaders have talked about this, that that's not something you don't consider or you try to navigate because the Bible says you live in the world, don't be of the world. We live in this world, so we have to think about those things. 
But if we think, well, I'm good, I'm getting God's word from a podcast, or I'm doing this, so I don't really need the church, we're thinking what we get from it. Let me ask you this question. What are you giving to it? See, the fact of the matter is, and boy, I wish we had more time. We may have to pick up a part two and may have to do this by video or something. Let me just, I need you. 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 Not because I'm insufficient of myself, though I am. I need you, and you need me. And if we think, well, I don't really need the church because I can find what the church is going to give me somewhere else, you might not be asking the question, but what can somebody here receive from you that because of the spiritual DNA God's given you is not in this place and it's lacking because God has something for you to give to this group of people? If I treated my marriage that way, I wouldn't be married too long. Honey, what you got for me? Where's my dinner? Where's this? What you got for me? What you got for me? She'd say, what I got for you is a hamburger and a road map. Hit the road, Jack. That's what she'd say to me. And pray for her this morning. She's not feeling well. It's not necessarily what we get from the church, but what we can give to the body, what we can give to one another. Listen, my my role, Heath's role, Caleb's role, our roles are are important, R-O-L-E-S, our roles are important. But church, I don't have to tell you, because some of you know, that many of you have been in this fellowship and in this church and encouraged one another through many Many people who have stood here and called themselves and taken the role of pastor. And God's called them other places. And that's just that's the way things work sometimes. But there may be another church member, I would submit and guess and probably be correct, that during those times needed you and you needed them. And that's the beautiful picture of the body of Christ, which is why the writer says, please don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You need each other. You have the gift that that person needs and that person has the gift that you need. And together you'll be a complete picture and God can use that to do something incredible. And so he says this word, which I love this word. Stimulate one another. Some translations say stir up. The word there that he's using is like inciting a riot. All right, you guys ready? Let's go down to downtown Five Forks to start a riot. I'm just kidding. But he's using it in a good way, like incite within people a riotous attitude of eagerness, of energy, of excitement. Don't get me wrong. When we gather together in here, we do gather to receive from God. Because if we show up and if God doesn't show up, then we don't receive squat. So we do gather to receive from God, but we also gather to give something to God. And give Him glory and praise because He gave the most sufficient sacrifice ever needed. And it's paid, it's done, it's over, it's finished. God, what can I do but praise you? We come to praise Him. Amen? That's why we're here. Let's not get caught up in the pastor or the word or the song or the lights. Or all. That's not why we're here. 
We're here to praise Him and to worship Him and to gather, to bless one another and to work together. i got to hurry up. Number 5, here's what he says, verse 26. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient, so don't willfully reject the sacrifice of Jesus. He says it this way, verse 26, if we go on sinning, this is why a lot of people think this is Paul talking because this sounds like Romans chapter 5 and 6. He says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying ex- expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So here's the question. Are you trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus? In our culture, it is so often Jesus plus something else. It's one of the reasons I love to take a step out of the United States of America, which I believe is the greatest country on the face of the planet. But once I step out of this country, I see sometimes people who all they have is Jesus. So there's no running to anything else because there's nothing, there's nothing else to run to but Jesus. He's all sufficient. Are you adding anything into that equation or is it just... The sufficiency of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his blood. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to go through the motions of sacrifice. Because your gift of grace on the cross once and for all. You said it's finished. Maybe there's a friend in this room today that would say, I've never placed my my soul trust all of my life. I've never placed that on the the altar. I've never placed that at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, I I trust you to be all-sufficient in my life, to pay the penalty of my sin, to guarantee me a place in heaven, to give me eternal life that starts today. Friend, if you're praying as you're praying this morning, if that's you, I've got good news. All you have to do is say yes to Christ, yes to Jesus. He paid it all. You and I can't be good enough. We can't allow enough time to pass by where the slate is wiped clean. It's only because of the blood of Christ. Have you said yes to Him? I know there are many friends in this room you've said yes to Christ. Could you just during these moments just thank Him for His sufficiency? That the price has been paid. Maybe today He's challenged you somehow to Get rid of that shame that you've been holding on to. Realize that you can boldly approach the throne of grace, not because of you, but because of Him.
Maybe he's challenged you today to draw near to him. Maybe he's challenged you to think about how to be a part of the body of Christ here at Crossroads. Maybe you've been visiting for some time and maybe even today he said this is the place where you need to give and be a part. I don't know how the Lord's speaking to you, but we're going to have a song in just a moment. And Stephen and our musicians are going to lead us. The words will be on the screen if you want to sing along. And as we sing this song this morning, our invitation is simply this. If God's spoken to you this morning and you want to let somebody know, my friend Heath and I will be standing here. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you. You may just say, Pastor, can I come down to the front and kneel and pray? Absolutely. Maybe you need to grab a family member, a spouse, a friend, a daughter, son. Just say, hey, can we go pray, recommit our lives to Jesus today? Do whatever you need to do if God's a part of it and he's speaking to your heart. Father, I pray you'd have your way during this invitation. We love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the faithfulness of Christ Jesus and the blood that you shed that gives us life eternal. In your name we pray. Amen. Church family, thank you for being here. If you're visiting, glad that you're here today. Will you stand with us as Stephen leads us? And if you need to respond, Heath and I will be here at the front waiting this morning. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.